This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. Today, we're catching up with Mark and Sally Dent. Mark and Sally run a mixed farming business on the historic Cobra Station, an 1150 hectare property with breeding and trade cattle and cropping just west of Dunijoo. In this episode, we hear how the recent drought led Mark and Sally to diversify their business and secure additional income by incorporating agritourism. They've upgraded and repurposed buildings on the farm to offer rustic and relaxed holiday accommodation, as well as providing an immersive haven for caravanners and campers. And if that doesn't keep them busy enough, Sally and Mark also offer morning tea to cyclists who are travelling past on the designated Central West Cycle Trail that runs past their property. Mark and Sally epitomise the true country spirit and are now promoting other local businesses and local produce, focusing on sustainable production, healthy landscapes and strong communities. Mark and Sally sat down with Local Land Services Mixed Farming Advisor, Callan Thompson, over a biscuit and a cuppa, to share their experience integrating agritourism into their farming business. So I might start off with, if you could just tell me a little bit about your farm. Yeah, no, well, we're obviously in the central west of New South Wales, 14 k's outside Dunedoo, and we run sort of a mixed farm. It's majority cattle breeding, trading of cattle, and we also do farming, wheat, barley, oats, grazing crops, that sort of thing, and lucerne production as well. So that's our main pasture base. So it, it's relatively simple. We like the KISS theory of keep it simple, stupid. And, you know, over the last couple of years, we've sort of managed to streamline that we don't actually employ anyone we do it all ourselves so it's got to be pretty simple but it seems to be working really well at the moment and how many acres uh so we're 1150 hectares just under 3,000 acres it's enough for us to both run and we sort of do it on four days because we're both working away but as i said if you keep it simple and keep on top of things it's working really well it's a fair bit of area to manage with you both working off farm as well, and running another enterprise. Yeah, we like to keep busy. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell me about your agritourism project. For those of you who don't know, we started an Airbnb the year before last during the first onset of COVID. So we have two prop, uh, sort of little listings. One's a cottage and one's a former battery shed, which we've converted into a, an Airbnb. And we sort of did it as a response to the prolonged drought. I was thinking, what am I going to do to complement my teaching? And I looked across and I thought, there's two buildings that are doing nothing. And so we decided to do Airbnb. So that's one of our little ventures we started. And the other one was Hip Camp, which was formerly called UCAMP, which was started by an Australian guy and then bought out by the Americans. And it's now called Hip Camp. And that's where people can come and sort of rent your land or stay on your land and leave no trace. And it's a great little setup. So that's on our other property not far from here. Yeah, I might add it was a work in progress about 10 years ago. Sal, to her credit, 
the little battery shed, which you'll have a look at in a little while, was quite a... I think it was put in in 1946. It was the first wind turbine electricity generator in, I think, in New South Wales. So, you know, a bit of history there. It was really well built, but just neglected, falling down to the point of we really need to either bulldoze it or do something with it. And she just stepped in and, wow, you know, amazing what she's done or got done there. So that would have been about 10 or 15 years ago, I'd say. And then... We've got about four houses, and I've lived in every one uh, at some <laughs> point along. But the other cottage that she's turned into a B and B used to be. I used to live there in my bachelor days, and yeah, then we rented it out for a little while, and then Airbnb thing came up. So she's done a great job. Like she's a very persistent person. So uh, <laughs> I've found out. But yeah, last year was great. It was really it was humming last year. Mm. Of course, until the COVID thing shut us all down. And you have push bikers come here as well oh yeah we forgot about that we do so we're part of the (laughs) central (laughs) west cycle trail which was set up from a group of volunteers in mudgee and i must say they've done an amazing job because they're probably all of a 70 plus most of them and they set that up two years ago now and it's gone gangbusters so you can ride the 400 i can't quite remember how many kilometers but the circuit goes from Mudgee, Golgong, Dunidu, and then you can choose to go one way, Digila way or Cobra way to Mendurin, and then from there to Ballymore and Wellington and back to Mudgee. And it's proved really successful too. So it's been a great little venture for the local community. What's your part of that? Do they come and stay Mine. here or? Is that my role in that? Well, I'm just the go-to man when someone's going off to work and just tells me that you've got 13 for morning tea. What we, Mark's going to tell you a little story in a moment, which was quite hilarious. But we started by um, David asked us if we just sort of use it. Cobra, for those who don't know, is quite a historical old place. And it was set up as a Cobb and Co. And so often the cyclists will just prearrange and I have a minimum of six cyclists just to make it sort of worthwhile. And they go and sit on the front veranda and just enjoy a morning tea and we do a little bit of a spiel about the place. And I think they just love being immersed in the countryside and seeing it at its best as it is now. That's the thing, probably people that work on the land, they don't actually see what the people that come in see and just the simple things just blow them away. But this particular day was, as Sal was heading off to work, she said, oh, there's 13 coming at one o'clock. So I'd just set up to spray a couple of paddocks. So I looked at the English backpacker and I said, well, that's you, buddy. You're doing that today. He said, I'm not doing it. So anyway, sure enough. So we made a commitment. I said, I'll go and set everything up. And then, of course, 11 o'clock comes, no riders. 12 o'clock comes, no riders. Anyway, one o'clock they turned up. But I'd sent him spraying and I was down marking calves. So I saw him come and I came up, got all the tea and scones out, covered in blood and dirt and crap. And uh, yeah, they thought it was awesome. They just said it was the best morning tea they've ever had. So... Yeah, they're pretty good people and, you know, as I said, it's something that we, I felt a bit embarrassed but they thought it was awesome. Real life farm, all happening, the sprayers going, there's cattle in the yards, mooing, so yeah, no, it was good. George never forgave me though. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned you're using Airbnb and HipCamp. How do those platforms work? Yeah, so it's basically all online and people can book online with Airbnb and HipCamp. We find it good. We do a minimum of two nights with Airbnb so that therefore you can sort of prepare for your guests and, yeah, it's a great little spot for them to go and stay. The hip camp, they can do an overnight stay, can appeal to the caravanners or the tent people. The platforms is all online bookings. I do take bookings outside of Airbnb, which I would obviously prefer to do, but as most people would appreciate, it's really hard to do your advertising and, and connect with your market. So 
we do use those two platforms to reach our audience. So who's your target audience? And is it the same target audience for both Airbnb and HipCamp? No, I'd say all the ventures are very different people. We tend to get lots of young families in the cottage and then we tend to get uh, young couples in the battery shed when you see how small it is. But we also, I'm not sure whether you're aware, but there's a Cobra Hall, which is just not far from here and they have weddings. So we often get wedding parties. So they'll come and they'll stay here, use the, the accommodation and then also have their photographs done here. So it's a great venue. And then the hip camp would be probably a mix of young, mostly young people. I haven't had many caravanners or older people today, mainly young people. And the Central West Cycles is... Mainly older. Yeah, all over 50s probably, yeah. 50 would be, yeah. No, it'd be probably average close to 60. Very fit people. Yeah, a lot of them on e-bikes, though. My kind <laughs> True, of bike. True, a few people yeah, on yeah. e-bikes. The farm stay, well, it's not a farm stay, but Airbnb, it's pretty well a cross-section of ages, you know, from I think we had some, you know, 18, 19-year-olds in there. And they all say the same thing. Like they, It's amazing how we think Coonabarabran is an hour. We're about an hour from everywhere. Like Coonabarabran's an hour, Dubbo's an hour, well, not quite, Mudgee's an hour, but, you know, roughly. They all say, oh, so you're pretty central here. You're pretty close to everything. And we go, yeah, I guess so. I guess so, <laughs> if you think an hour's driving. But they think that because they're in the bush, they've got to drive an hour to get anywhere. So they're quite happy to get in the car and drive 50 minutes to go and see the zoo or the Warren Bungles and it's an hour there. And that, they enjoy the drives. And they all say, do you realise you can still buy a house in Dubbo for $350,000? <laughs> the ones from Sydney. And you go, yeah, you can. It's not a bad place to live. In the camping market, are they mainly families? When you said they're young people, are they young people with families or? A little bit of both, Callum. Mainly probably young couples actually and it's probably a cheaper alternative than having a Airbnb in Dubbo and they'll often just bring a tent and there'll be a few of them and they'll stay and then they'll go and do all the things locally like they'll go up to the Warrumbungle National Park or they'll go to Cooler Tops. Dubbo's always a big attraction for them with the zoo and then quite a few of them like to do wine tasting. So they share it around and, yeah, explore the, the local region. For a lot of the people that come here, a farm's something that they're not used to, I think. Not everyone has family on farms like they probably did 20 years ago. What sort of experiences are they after? A lot of them really don't have any idea, which is fine. Like, that's just normal if you've never been on a farm to know whatever. So you've got to, A, tell them the electric fences are on. I know we were weaning 150 calves one night. Sal came home. She said, you realise I've got guests tonight? And I said, I cannot base my <laughs> livestock <laughs> enterprise around guests. Anyway, so of course, I couldn't let them out. Calves bellowed all night and you know, and we didn't get much sleep that night because we were thinking, you know, the guests will be writing bad reviews. They just thought that was what happened on the farm. Like there was that noise, like their traffic noise. So they loved that. But yeah, they all enjoy going for a walk. Always very interested in farming techniques. If they ever come down to the shed from there, the cedar or the sprayer or what's the plough doing or what do you do with that and what do you grow and where does your meat end up, that's all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, most of them are pretty keen to learn about stuff. So we don't actually promote it as a farm stay as such. We just say on Airbnb that you'll be immersed in the workings of a day-to-day farm. And the reason we do that is because we don't want to have to worry about really spending our time taking them all around and obviously then you've got the thing about motorbikes and vehicles and all that sort of stuff. So we just tend to let them go and have a look at the chooks and if you know we've got potty calves or sheep or anything, we take them down to have a look at that. 
or we just simply say to them, go and enjoy the lagoon. They just love being immersed in the environment, really. And I think you made a good point too when you said about city-country divide, and we really noticed that too. So I see this as a, um, a bit of a connection back to country for a lot of people and that it sort of does overcome that city-country divide. So, yeah, it's been a lovely experience for all. Mm. Most of the people are really nice. When you can tell, we, I think we only had one that was a bit rattly, but I think they got lost getting here and... It all went pear and it was raining, it was wet, but the rest of the people are just nice people and they're just interested in what's going on. You mentioned that weaning was fairly loud, but your guests didn't really mind. Is there any operations that you need to postpone if you've got visitors? Do you have to work around them? No, I think we've only had one incident when it did rain for quite some time and our front road was a little bit dicey. So Mark did tow the family out with the uh, tractor. So that was a bit of an event. But other than that, I mean, and they thought that was fabulous. Just don't spin the wheels, like just drive slowly. And all I could see while I'm seeing him go out the road is rooster tail coming out the back of the car. It's like so obviously they're bogged. <laughs> As I said before, I think a lot of them are pretty, and I don't say in this a bad way, but ignorant to what actually goes on. So they're more than happy for stuff that goes, you know, if you're doing something down at the yards or, you know, in the shed or something, they're like eyes wide open just to try and find something out. So no, not really. And they love just looking out the window at the cattle grazing and the horses and the, yeah, so they just, all the dogs, they're all absolutely obsessed with the dogs. Yeah, just get a corgi. Get a corgi <laughs> if you want to start an Airbnb. The corgi's the favourite, is it? Absolutely. Because the dogs all run out and they just think that's gold. So, I mean, we hope that they're actually getting what they're paying for, you know, and that's an experience. So they can be part of a farm. Well, as Sal said, it's not a farm stay, but, you know, they're driving onto a farm and they're seeing cattle and doing whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, that's what we're sort of selling, I guess. So you hope that they get what they paid for and most of the comments have been positive. The other thing that they all seem to enjoy is the night sky. They're just absolutely blown away by the stars and the fact they can actually see something in the night sky. They just love being here in the peace, I think, and the quiet of the surrounding countryside. It's really lovely for them. I like the idea of immersing into a farm I think that's a really yeah. good way of explaining it yeah so far it's worked and, and no we've never had anyone sort of complain that they haven't felt they've got value for money and we leave a bit of interesting information about the historical aspects of the place and then we also leave lots of little things for them to do in surrounding villages so we really try and immerse them in the whole environment not just on our property but obviously in our region and there's lots to see and do really so it's a great great place to come we mentioned before you both work off farm as well as running a fairly large farm. How do you manage your time between all three operations? We were really good last year when we had a gorgeous um, little backpacker here called George. and Who broke everything. <laughs> but he was fabulous. <laughs> yeah. He was our, he was good. Yeah. our pin-up boy. And we also have a lovely lady who always used to help with the cleaning too. But unfortunately, they're both leaving. So, yeah, that is probably one of our challenges is to try and find the right help to assist us in running the operations concurrently. Yeah, and of course, COVID last year, we didn't really have a lot of people coming in. So, oh, no, it's, it's busy. But yeah, it would be nice to be able to get a cleaner. And the farm, sort of, as I said, it sort of runs itself. You know, I'm just like a bit of the conductor in who goes where and what goes. And as long as electric fences are working and the bore's working, yeah, it's pretty well straightforward. So this coming year or next year, I suppose, will be a bit challenging to see 
because I'm not a very good bed maker. I actually refuse <laughs> yeah. to make beds. I think what it does, though, is this venture has enabled us to really complement our day-to-day farming operation. I think that's probably why it's been a good fit for us. So we do aim to keep it simple and because Mark works in an agribusiness and I'm teaching a few days, but we really find that Cobra sells itself with its beautiful, rich history and, and the views and obviously this season's been magical. One of the things that concerns me as someone who works for LLS and spends a lot of time talking about weeds and diseases and things like that is the biosecurity side of things. Is that something that you have to manage? And I'm guessing particularly in the hip camp sort of area where they're coming out into a, a paddock. Yeah, that's true, Callum. I think too we did think about that with the cyclists as well. So obviously they get to cycle in off the road. But no, we haven't found that to be a problem when you think of all those years we carted hay here. This has been a minimum risk compared to those sorts of years. Oh, yeah, we're just starting to see the the fallout of the hay that's come from Victoria and South Australia. Not too many bad weeds, but a couple there that just need to be under control. So really a bike pedalling in is only going to bring local weeds anyway, as in there's not a lot more that they can bring in unless they come from a long way away. So no, I don't think that's a real issue. Yeah, as Sal said, compared to what we've been through during that drought, it was the grain that was coming in and the and the hay, much bigger issue than hip campers or farm stays or cyclists. And I guess a lot of them are coming from town or, or city based. Yeah, where urban dwellers. Yeah, they're not going to have mud and burrs and things like that, really. Well, it'll be local stuff anyway. As you said, I mean, most of them are the cyclists are driving to wherever you know, Mudgee or. Golgong or wherever and then getting on their bikes so you know it'd be no different than from anyone driving from Sydney to here on a car so and yeah, I don't think it'd be an issue really I think biosecurity weed issue is the biggest challenge agriculture's got by a long way into the future so we try and stay on the top of that as best we can because yeah you know that's the problem with agriculture at the moment is these weeds coming up and trying to control them. Yeah I have to say after the drought my young fellas got really good at identifying radish and chipping oh, it yeah, out because yeah, we yeah. we got a two bales it was only two bales oh right yeah it had radish buy. in it yeah wow. it's just, i had to buy them quickly just because the truck didn't turn up the day it was meant to and you know that's a bad one yeah see that's got we haven't got a, that well there is a bit that came in some seed that we sowed this year and there's a bit coming down the river that we're on to but Apparently it's a real issue, the radish issue, and uh, we just got a bit of broom grass, I think it is. We'll just keep topping, spraying as we find it, so yeah. One of the things that some producers I've been talking to have had concerns with is, is dealing with councils and planning approvals. Have you had to go through that process? So with our local Warrumbungle Shire Council, we don't have to do that. As of just probably a few weeks ago, the New South Wales State Government makes sure that you all comply and you've, you're giving a, a registration number and now it's just to make sure that you have the obviously your fire smoke detectors and you're all on par there. So that's only been a new thing in our area. Other councils I noticed are sort of saying to their providers that they're only allowed to operate six months of the year, so in Dubbo and Orange I gather, but we don't have any restrictions like that at this point in time. And I think it's all to do with the affordable housing yeah, so we're lucky where we are at the moment, yeah. I mean, I think it's always probably something you have to be very mindful of and you just have to do your homework and check what is required in any accommodation and obviously safety first. So we've done all, installed our fire smoke alarms and we've done, you know, the fire blankets and we don't have fires in there anymore. We've closed that off and we just have air conditioning. So no, I think that's, 
you just need to check with your own area, I think, and make sure you comply that way. The other big topic that comes up a lot is insurance. Have you had to change your insurance to cover? Yeah, insurance is always funny. I mean, it depends, like how long's a piece of string, How what do you insure for? Our insurance broker informs us that, well, I think we're covered with Airbnb anyway. Yeah. Our public liability is, that's what it's there for. If we do something and someone gets injured or hurt, we have a $20 million policy that covers you doing something wrong. So you've provided a situation where someone's got themselves injured, whether it be your fault or their fault, but that's what you carry public liability for, for $20 million. So you would hope that if they're going to sue you, 20 mils enough, either that or you make sure they don't make it and there's a deep well down at the river and never to be seen again. That's right. Just kidding. No, I think you need to speak to your brokers definitely. Yeah, and, uh, and we did do all that and we have increased it for both the hip camp and for here. But I also think you need to do a little bit of a risk analysis and just check that you induct them when they come about where they're allowed to go, what they're allowed to do whilst here. And they're really keen to know that. So we usually, I've written it down in a um, book inside the cottage and just about we appreciate you letting us know if you want to go somewhere and where it's safe to walk to and just we make them a bit aware of their surroundings I suppose. Yeah my dad used to we used to have friends come up and camp at home and and we're not far from the Pilliga scrub and dad used to always say it's pretty easy digging here so mm. be, yeah, careful. be careful because <laughs> yeah that's right people find it very hard to sue you when they're dead <laughs> apparently I don't know I've never been sued would have to be someone doing something really stupid like we don't have motorbikes we don't have horses they're allowed to walk down to the lagoon which is good they all enjoy there's no real swimming so you know it's like if they get hurt it's it's not going to be out of us being negligent in sort of a major way by providing a, a situation where they could get hurt if they come into the cattle yards if they come down there anyone that comes down there i just give them induction even i say if you would like to come in i just give them a quick induction about you know, livestock safety, gates, noise, you know, body language, all that sort of stuff. This is my office down here. So it's like me walking into your office. You, you know, you need to respect what's going on here and just be careful because this can be a dangerous spot. And with that, and they quite enjoy that. And then I, I just take them into the yard shed and lock them in there. <laughs> <laughs> but they think it's, yeah, it's awesome to be in the middle of the cattle going everywhere. So did you have any goals for your agritourism venture we set a figure and said this is what we want to make by the end of the year and obviously there is a certain amount of work that goes with establishing these sort of ventures so it had to pay its way um, the other thing is we did financially have a bit of an outlay at the beginning just complying with everything like putting in the smoke alarms and you know reverse cycle and making sure the rooms were painted and clean and furnishings and things but yeah, we said to ourselves, we're going to make $40,000 and we will and truly did in the first year. And that was during COVID. So I think that's a pretty good year. Can't say the same for the last year though. The highlight of the COVID thing was that we had people here. He was in charge of buying all the land around for the Badgeries Creek Airport. So he was like getting all that, all the land part of it started. So pretty arrived in a Beamer and gold chain and all the trimmings and we don't make a real point of being here you know it's a and b so you know there's the cottage but if you're there you, you know we'd love to have a quick chat anyway he was saying how long has this been out here we've been going to italy and greece and you know america for our holidays for two weeks and he goes we didn't know this is out here we would be coming out here so they they actually the covid thing stopped people going overseas and opened their eyes to the 
central west New South Wales and western New South Wales, you know, because they couldn't go to Queensland or the Territory. So it was great, really. Just hope that continues because we really didn't have to do a lot for it. Like we didn't have to advertise. We didn't have to go and get people. So that'll be the challenge probably a bit. Will they come this year? Will they, calling them they, they're like a, <laughs> aren't they? <laughs> or, customers, or will yeah. our customers come this year on their own because they can now go overseas or they can now go to Queensland or Northern Territory or wherever they want to go? Yeah, that'll be challenging, but yeah, we'll see what Sal's got to do to get them here. So has there been any obstacles that you've faced? Yeah, obviously we just mentioned COVID's probably been a, an opportunity and maybe a little bit of a challenge too. You know, you've always got the how much do you set up in the beginning because you don't know whether the business is going to take off. So I think we were quite conservative probably with what we did. And the other thing that is staffing, I think in small regional towns, as most people appreciate, particularly with the, the current climate, it's really, really hard to find cleaners and things like that. And the other challenge that I struggle with, and, and this is probably not the case for everyone, but is, is marketing. You know, I really would love to do something outside Airbnb, but you have to be constantly on it and you have to be quite gifted in that area. And that's certainly not where my talents lie. So that's something I need to improve on. Uh, making beds. Yeah, I really struggle. <laughs> cleaning. That's a real hurdle for me. A vacuum cleaning. Yeah, another struggle. It's going to be getting someone to clean it. I mean, it's a pretty good model when you look at it is they ring up or the, the customer rings up books it online, well, they don't ring up, they book it online, you give them the directions on the internet, they come and stay, they pay their money, they leave. Uh, so really, maintenance is, you know, minimal, I can do that, but it's going to be the cleaning and getting people to stay, well, it's a minimum stay two nights over here because it just has to be because you can't spend three hours cleaning it for one night or, you know, there goes your money on your your income. So And we probably don't have the luxury of having a... um laundry mat very close by by the time you take them to Dubbo or Mudgee or things you're probably not going to make a lot of money out of it so we tend to do all our own laundering yeah but we'll bumble through that's what we always do you know find ways <laughs> around it and there's someone will turn up someone will do something and you know we'll probably get wonder what the hell we're doing for a while but you just seem to make it work has there been any positives I guess that you weren't expecting yeah, I think as we mentioned before, it probably has enabled us to reach our city cousins and connect them back to their bush connections. But I think food providence is the other thing. We're involved in the local markets, the local show, and it's sort of provided both with the CWC, with all the Central West Cycles and the Airbnb and the HIPCAP linkages with tourism in our area. You know, So Mudgee's obviously, I think, been nominated the best place to visit. And Dubbo's got an outstanding reputation too. So I think the slow food movement is a great outcome of it. People can see where their beef comes from and they're also able to go and see local produce being sold in town or in the local stores. The other thing I think it's done is sort of preserves that farming lifestyle and our landscapes because people are happy to come and spend a bit of money up here and therefore we tend to do things as a result because we've got some cash to spend, whether it's planting trees or whether it's maintaining fences or basically enables to showcase our region. And I think that's been a really positive outcome. So are you selling any product direct to consumer through the markets? Only cordial. <laughs> we have good Auntie cordial Nancy's yeah. homemade cordial recipe and, and I often do it at school with the St. Michael's children, but we started doing it at the local made and grown markets and then I just have it here sometimes and all the cyclists have it for lunch and then they'll say oh can we get a bottle so that's about it and oh, we send sell local products from friends like Murrungundi pistachios oh, and then the men's shed. shed do little things Gundui Organics has beef 
Uh, the thing that surprised me is before we started it, Sal was very like, oh, no, I've, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. You know, I've got to do the bathroom. I've got to do that. I said, no, just put it on the internet. See what happens. Me thinking, yeah, she's not going to get anyone. So I didn't want to go and spend a heap of money over there when we weren't going to get anyone. <laughs> Thanks but, for that vote of confidence. Well, I didn't tell you that, but anyway, it's, it's come out. But I thought, just put it out there, see how it goes. And when it goes well, or if it goes well, then you can start doing things up. And yeah, I was blown away with how many people came and stayed. So if anyone's thinking of doing it, just try it. Like, it doesn't have to be the Taj Mahal. It doesn't have to be the Hilton. People don't particularly expect that because they're coming onto a farm and they think this is a farm life. It's a farm cottage. It's whatever. They actually probably enjoy it. You know, a little bit of rustic appeal, so to speak. Yeah, charm. Yeah, and I think the other thing too I've noticed is that additional employment opportunities. I'm just thinking from the Central West Cycles, for example, and there's two pubs locally that probably were struggling prior to that and now they're just going gangbusters. So if you look at Ballymore and you look at Mendurin. So I also think too it showcases our beautiful natural resources in our area. Like we've got pristine air, water and soils and also highlights sustainable agriculture. So people are saying, how do you keep this going? How do you make such a, an operation sustainable? And I think a lot of people never think about that. And I really love that it highlights we're a, a family. We're not a big corporate and we are all surviving. It sounds like it's just doing some really good things for regional Australia and farming, the industry that... And I think that's agritourism. I mean, if you look at sort of, not that I've been there, but they say Tasmania. It's really kept everyone going there. And I think it's starting to do that too in the Central West. So I think it's a great, great little thing for our area. So if you had your time again, is there anything that you'd do differently? I would probably be try and do a little bit more homework with marketing and try and make sure I was a little bit more familiar with marketing and probably access a few more support services around. So, there, you know, there are the business and they've been great. I've just started talking to them in the last few months to just seeking help from other people who have been before and see what they've done and what pitfalls you can avoid. Probably didn't do enough of that. And the other thing that I would love to do, which I intend to do, is collaborate with those around us. So we've got probably three or four Airbnbs within our little town and we've all got together and also the cyclist girls and said, let's all sit together and work out a plan and try and promote our town because it, you may or not be aware that we don't have – and we've only got one person in the whole of Warrumbungle Shire that does tourism. So we just don't have that support network. So I think we're going to have to do it on our own and the only way to do that is to get together and see how we go. I've just got to put another septic system in because <laughs> the one we've currently got has collapsed. Okay. So that's my only hurdle yeah, for the yeah. next six, 12 months. Mm. What advice would you give other farmers looking to do something similar on their farm if you had one really key bit of advice? Just do it. And that's I mentioned before about Sal. I don't think people are expecting glamping or they're expecting to stay in the homestead or they can probably can if they want to go that up upper level, but... Before you go and spend lots and lots of money getting things sorted out, see how it goes and get feedback from people. That's what I thought. That's how we'll work out what it is. It's getting the feedback from the people that are staying here. But the feedback was all good. They're not going to give you incorrect feedback. They're just going to tell you what it's like. And I gave up asking, oh, so what? They all just said, oh, this is fantastic. It's wonderful. It's so peaceful and it's so serene and it's like it's just driving in. We just felt relaxed and so my advice is just have a go at it you know because it's a usually it's a supplementary income so you've probably still got a job don't give up your day job but just see where it takes you uh enjoy the people enjoy the challenge but i wouldn't be spending like hundreds of thousands of dollars setting up just go with what you've got 
and you might just find people love it. Yeah, I tend to agree. Just embrace it and and uh, enjoy. That's some great advice. I'm going to go home tonight and have a discussion with my wife about um, opportunities for hip camp. I've become a bit... Sorry, Marie. Uh, and did I not reiterate before, anything we have said here today will not be taken in a court of law. Yeah, and I think it's great that people like LLS are taking an interest in agritourism and I think we all need to, to really focus on that for the next few years because I think it's a great opportunity out there. Very good. Well, thank you both for your time today. It's been bored really good. To tease, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, no, I'm sure, but anyway. I'm sure there's a lot of useful information. If The amount of people that are talking to us about these sort of systems and we're seeing so many people come into our regional towns there's a lot of interest and i think this has been a great yarn to sort of bring up some of those some of the benefits and some of the things that people need to be mindful of be when they're of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. starting off so oh and it's great yeah. as Sal said that lls is becoming involved that's a that's fantastic it's a great organization and to have their support and their input. The more people that can get on board this, it's like it's a pretty good thing out here for people to see. So it's getting that message out that it's here and it's not expensive. That was the other thing a lot of these people said was it costs you nothing out here. Like I fill the car up and I drive. There's I go to the Warren Bungles, that costs me ten bucks to get in or whatever it is. I buy take my sandwiches. In Sydney, that's gonna cost me a thousand bucks to have that experience. Get that message out there and we'll yeah. Very good. Thank you both for your time. Thanks, Cal. Thank Pleasure. you. This episode was produced as part of Central West Local Land Services' ADAPT project through funding from the Australian Government's National Land Care Program. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.